to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person with no hope. No hope and endless hope. And and let me explain. Um, Eric Utney, and people might know because he formed the Utney Readers from the Twin Cities, and he had an editorial in the New York Times this last week around uh, January, uh, July 24th. And the editorial was entitled, uh, Feeling Hopeless? Embrace It. He mentions eco-philosophy for Joanne Macy and describes, and she describes what she calls despair and empowerment work. Just as grief is a process by which bereaved people persons unblock their numbed energy by acknowledging and grieving the loss of a loved one, so do we all need to unblock our feelings of despair about our threatened planet and the possible demise of our species. Until we do, our power of creative response will be crippled. Um, Eric Utney in this editorial goes on to describe uh, Vakel Havel's uh, version of hope. It is not the conviction that something will turn out well but the certainty that something makes sense regardless of how it turns out. Connecting on what makes sense, that is our, our, that's, not, that's not just a hope, but that's finding that certainty. And so our food system in so many ways just does not make sense. Our topsoil is being depleted. We have nitrates in the water, dead zones, concentration of wealth, factory farms. If we did to cats and dogs what we do to pigs and chickens in our factory farms, there'd be total outrage. And we saw with COVID this spring, um, animals were killed not for food, but just simply to be buried. Um, the food system does not make sense. Um, and, and, and we're all becoming more aware because of the COVID virus. Um, this week, um, Seneca Foods, it's a packing facility in Glencoe, and uh, the Minnesota Department of Health now reports 33 cases of uh, COVID virus among the Seneca workers. And that's because the food system um, it does not make sense. Um, you know, many of these uh, seasonal workers, they're traveling around the country um, And it's just, uh, you know, some people don't even have symptoms when they show up. Um, So the current food system um, doesn't make sense. And and we know what happened to meatpacking. So how do we create hope? How do we create something that works for certainty? Again, that Vakel Havel's quote, it's not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that makes sense, regardless of how it turns out. So today's guest has been working to make sense out of the food system for 30 plus years, Claire Sand. Um, She's a food packaging science and value change expert for 30 years. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Claire. Hello. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Yes, hello. Uh, thank so, you for having me. Thank you. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, my background is in food packaging. So I uh, educationally, I went to Michigan State University, which has one of the five packaging programs in the country. So if there's any young people out there looking for a career, it's a wonderful career. And then I uh, did my PhD at the University of Minnesota in food science and human nutrition. Um, worked in industry with Kraft, Gerber, Nestle, and also overseas in Germany and Thailand and Colombia, and uh, eventually ended up in academia at the University of Wisconsin, um, had a midlife crisis, uh, left a tenured uh, position about 15 years ago, and have been working with uh, entrepreneurs uh, and um, the food the food industry, um, uh, big companies as well as small companies, as well as the packaging industry to work on developing a more sustainable food system with more sustainable packaging and less food waste. Yeah. So um, is, is there a problem in the food system with food packaging? Well, I think there is, yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, consumers are telling us there is, right? Consumers are telling us there's too much of, there's too much packaging. Um, you know, we know from, from the work that we do, that uh, sometimes there's just enough packaging so that we don't have food waste. But the fact is consumers don't see value in that packaging. And I think one of the reasons that consumers don't see value in that packaging is we don't have the systems in place, uh, not just in Minnesota, but in the United States in general, to really capture that post-consumer value of packaging, whether it's recycling or 
um, waste energy or composting or reuse. Uh, we don't we don't have a lot of those value systems set up. And so consumers do not love packaging. It, it, yeah, and it, it is so complex because um, we've been doing a lot on the problems with plastics and the problem in the ocean and all the plastic packaging that our food comes in. And, the, I mean, what there's so many consequences in the, that area. Um, are there some solutions to that? Do we, does everything have to be packaged in plastic? Well, yeah, I think the number one solution is to, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a people problem, right? Um, you know, we, we've had pollution in our oceans for a while. Uh, plastic floats, right? <laughs> Other things sink. Um, when I was growing up in the Detroit metro area, we had a big problem with glass. Uh, we also had, you know, Lake Erie on fire and, and mm-hmm. other things like that. But, but um, you know, it's a people problem. Uh, and, uh, you know, people, um, I teach... Um, third graders about plastics and packaging and they last year they brought up the straws and i said wow the fish are using those straws you know they just leave them in the ocean after they're done it's like well gosh how did those straws get in the ocean well we don't collect them we as humans you know don't collect them and so one of the things i think we need to do as a as a population is take responsibility for the things that we are using and um, use use our resources more wisely, use less of it. But also, if we do use it, we need to, you know, dispose of it properly. And so, you know, we can blame individual people for not recycling, but we can also take a step back and say, well, gosh, do we have systems in place to enable recycling? You know, sometimes you, you go to a park and, and there's only trash bins. So if you if you're drinking out of a recyclable bottle or something like that or using something that's recyclable there's no place to put it and so sometimes we we just don't have the systems in place um and we can you know uh, as, as people um make those decisions you know to 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 value um packaging but but we we don't have those systems in place we don't but then to kind of work upstream seems to be the most powerful action why have the plastics in the first place and i know there's some innovative new stuff out there like edible packaging and i know this gets complex so that's kind of where i want to dig into you want to talk about edible packaging yeah let's talk about edible yeah Yeah, let's talk about the fun (laughs) stuff why not you know yeah, so um, I actually did my Ph.D. Uh, for Quaker Oats uh, on edible packaging. Uh, in I graduated in 92, so it's not new, uh-huh. uh, but it's really kind of cool. Uh, so we see edible packaging everywhere, uh, consume, or at least I do. Consumers typically don't see it. So um, my research was... The only, I'm going to stop you. The only edible packaging I see is bananas, you know, that come in those <laughs> That's supposed sure. to be a joke. But, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So- I've heard a lot of edible packaging jokes, but we don't want to go there. But yeah, so so it's uh, you know we we use it to separate later layers in what is called heterogeneous food systems. So if you have something that's really liquid, like the inside of a granola bar, where there's that kind of um, jammy type of um, substance, and then there's a dry outside. Well, consumers really like those two flavors, you know, and those two different textures. They really want those different textures in the same foods. But the challenge is, you know, how do we keep them apart? Otherwise, you'd end up with just one big gooey mess. And so we use edible packaging within food to separate layers. We also use um, one of the the most favorite edible packaging that that we use out there is chocolate. Chocolate is really an amazing moisture barrier. It's, um, It's a lot of fat, right? And the oil and water resist, and so it ends up being an incredible moisture barrier. So we see chocolate-coated raisins, for example. That's, you know, yes, it tastes excellent, right? But we can also, if we have chocolate-coated raisins and we look, uh, take a step back and we look at the kind of barrier, the kind of packaging that we need for chocolate-coated raisins, it's much less than for just raisins in general, right? So... There's all sorts of different coatings that can that we can use. So, so we can use edible packaging not to replace synthetic packaging, but to reduce the amount of synthetic packaging that we do need. 
Okay, well, that makes it so it's replacing it. Do you ever think uh, uh, the packaging could be 100% edible? Um, I know some people have seen things like people doing edible covers over water. So instead of buying a water in a plastic jug, you pop these little um, uh, edible packaging balls. Yeah, I, I saw that at a, at a race. I thought it was a really neat idea, but the, I thought the interesting things is the, the people passing them out had plastic gloves on, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, and that's and the other so, side of this know. is it probably gets dirty, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, I mean, it's sure it's not. Yeah. And so, yeah, you have edible packaging, but, but really it's to reduce the amount of um, – to reduce the amount of packaging you need or to extend the shelf life of the product. So if you have raisins and cereal mixed together, like raisin bran, if you coat the raisins with an edible film, right, which we actually do in the industry, and uh, the moisture doesn't migrate to the cereal, and so the, the, the cereal, the bran flakes remain crisp, crispy and crunchy, the raisins don't dry out, and uh, the cereal has a longer shelf life, and so we have less food waste. And now we don't need that big, you know, uh, we wouldn't need to add foil uh, to the uh, the packaging, you know, to the um, to the uh, flexible bag. So, yeah, so it, so we do see it a lot in the food industry. It's used it's used quite a bit. The one of the new areas, well, it's not no not so new but we're seeing it more and more is antimicrobial edible packaging so we're, so we yeah we're gonna, so we we're gonna need it we're that. gonna make it need to take a break and um when we come back we'll talk about micro for that that packaging you're listening to food freedom radio on am 950 Food Freedom Radio is generously supported by Seward Co-op, now offering online ordering and pickup at both the Franklin and Friendship stores. Shop online at seward.coop slash curbside and then pay over the phone. Just call when you arrive at the store for pickup. It's that easy and safe. Offering dedicated pickup times for our first responders, seniors, and those with compromised immune systems from 1 to 2 p.m. Start your shopping at seward.coop slash curbside. Stay safe. Finding the best foods the Twin Cities has to offer is easy with EatLocalMinnesota.com. Offering the top local and independently owned restaurants, EatLocalMinnesota.com has everything from burger joints to cocktails and fine dining. Cafe Latte's award-winning gourmet cafeteria has reopened to indoor dining at 50% capacity, so come check out their pizza and wine bar or get a treat from the bakery made fresh daily. Plus, they still have online ordering and takeout along with gift cards at CafeLatte.com. That's Cafe Latte, located off Victoria and Grand in St. Paul. Crooner's Supper Club has two great options this summer for enjoying live music from a safe distance. Their lakeside drive-in concerts enjoyed from the comfort of your car and the brand new Lakeside Cafe with sheltered table seating for couples and parties of four. It's a more intimate, distance-safe way to enjoy great food and top-name Twin Cities performers in the open air. That's Crooner's off Moore Lake and Highway 65. Reservations at croonersmn.com. Hi, Alex of Better Futures, Minnesota. Does your business or organization need janitorial services, lawn care, or snow services? Obtain a free, no-obligation estimate from Better Futures Minnesota when you mention that you heard about us on AM950. Our supervised, hardworking, and affordable crews will handle your interior and exterior building and property maintenance needs while you help men in your community transform their lives and walk on a positive path to success. It's a win-win. To learn more, go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com under Business Services. Hi, everyone. Matt McNeil here. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much to all the AM950 listeners who've become members of the radio station. The pandemic has hit our economy hard, and your generous support has helped ensure progressive radio stays on the air in Minneapolis-St. Paul. With this upcoming election, it's vitally important to make sure a progressive voice is an option in Minnesota. If you're interested in becoming a member, head over to our webpage, am950radio.com, and click on the membership link. It's really easy to sign up, and you can either make a one-time donation or become a sustaining member with either a monthly or quarterly donation option. And your membership comes with the added bonus of special members-only content. We have brand-new interviews with great guests like national host Tom Hartman, politicians and authors. We also revisit classic interviews with new perspectives. These are interviews only available to the members. Once again, go to am950radio.com and sign up to become a member today. Thanks for helping keep the station on the air, and thanks for listening to AM950.
Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, and joining us is Dr. Clara Sand. Uh, she is a food packaging and science um, expert for 30-plus years. Um, welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. And uh, when we were Thank on, you. We were on break, you were talking about antimicrobial packaging. Describe what that is. Well, it's packaging that inhibits uh, or stalls microbial growth. And so when you think about uh, bread getting a little fuzzy, right, or cheese turning uh, a little bit green, right, uh, it's packaging that can prevent that. And so instead of putting the preservatives in our food, we can actually put them in our packaging so that they migrate from our packaging into our food um, as the shelf life, as the food mm, shelf life goes on and on. And so you actually end up with less preservatives in the food uh, or preservatives only when you actually need it. So if you eat your cheese right away, the less preservatives would migrate from the packaging into the food. Mm -hmm. But if you eat your cheese three months from now, um, you would have preservatives in there that would have come out of the packaging that would protect the food. I, I, I like that, and I, I, I know this is outside of my wheelhouse, but I will also freely admit in some ways that scares me. I know, um, I mean, humans, we have antibacterial soap. We really don't grasp the microbial kingdom. I mean, it is a kingdom, and it, it has its and, – and when we, we often – I mean, we, we are an animal that used mercury to harvest gold, <laughs> You know, and so I mean, we are. That's 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 the animal that that we have, and and so, um, under and I, I know understanding the complexity sometimes. And I'm just that that also scares me. I'd, I'd rather have it, and, and yet I want to also want to stay safe. So I'm I'm a little confused by that. Yeah, yeah. Well, some, some bacteria is different from microbes, and so microbes are the ones that you hear about uh, in the press. So, for example, uh, you may have heard about the listeria outbreak uh, with cantaloupe a few years ago, right? Uh, um, listeria is a really bad. It's a pathogen. It can it can kill you. Uh, e. coli is the one that uh, reason we have to we have to cook our hamburgers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have other ones like salmonella, which is associated with eggs and chicken and things like that. But if we can have, so these are those are pathogens that can that can kill people, right? Mm-hmm. The yeast and molds, um, you know, sometimes we, we even have foods with yeast and molds in them, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but the pathogens are really serious um, because, uh, well, they can they can kill people. And so right. it's not mm-hmm. a matter necessarily of, you know, like not using antibacterial soap. It's a matter of, you know, not consuming these pathogens, which have... You know, there's, they're basically zero tolerance, um, and uh, you know they they do kill people. Uh, yeah, well, I think in Switzerland recently there was an outbreak of listeria associated with potatoes, mashed potatoes, mm-hmm. and I think 15 people died. So um, it's it's serious, yeah. And so we can we use antimicrobial packaging so that uh, the products have less preservatives, but also to provide a, another layer. Um, we call this hurdle technology, another layer of protection for consumers. And so it's, um, it's pretty interesting. Uh, a lot of the products are uh, things that, that you consume normally as a consumer. For example, rosemary oh. is antimicrobial. Cinnamon <laughs> is an antimicrobial. Oh, yay. Um, I don't mind my zinc. food being covered with cinnamon and roses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, zinc is, you know, it sounds like, well, gosh, it's a chemical, right? But it's actually generally recognized as safe. It's, it's uh, you know, sometimes people take vitamins, you know, it's in your vitamins, right? So that is one of the most effective antimicrobial agents out there uh, now. And that's the one that's actually being explored for use um, to inhibit transfer of COVID um, in, in packaging or with packaging. Uh, so COVID is unique, or the coronavirus is unique because it's um, a non-envelope virus, and so it's actually similar to a lot of microbes in terms of what's required to inhibit it. And so we've been uh, doing some testing with zinc and zinc oxide and, and things like that. Um, but, yeah, we also see antimicrobials used in socks. Um, you know, the Army uses antimicrobial socks, 
so that their uh, soldiers in the field, when they have uh, something more important going on, than worrying about their feet, um, don't have uh, you know fungus and all sorts of other strange things <laughs> growing. Um, but yeah, we we use it a lot, um, and airlines use uh, antimicrobial uh, coatings on the blankets and pillows and things like that and when you think about that well boy you don't especially these days you don't want to be using something (laughs) that somebody else just touched well the the covid packaging is quite interesting so say a little bit more about that development yeah we're just at the early stages of understanding it Uh, but i think uh, most people have probably seen the the press on how long coat you know the the virus can actually live on things like paperboard um you know outside of boxes plastic you know metal things like that and so because we handle a lot of packaging within our distribution systems it is possible that we could have the coronavirus being transferred through the outside of packaging you can google this on youtube and you'll see all sorts of techniques that people can use to uh, to make sure they're not bringing the virus in the house through packaging but but we can use a lot of the same technology um, to inhibit um, the coronavirus from being transferred so um, yeah, I've seen those that, videos. That do is, do you do that with yeah. your home when you're bringing bringing your uh, um, groceries? Do you do you make sure they're clean in some way? Uh, I I wash the food. Um, I want my my children uh, laugh at me about how I wash my um, fruits and vegetables and things like that. But I I focus on that uh, versus the outside of the package. Okay, how do you wash your fruits and vegetables? Oh boy! Now we're getting personal here, but yeah, yeah sorry, I wash I... them very carefully. <laughs> so, um, so for example, if I buy a bag of spinach, uh, I have a, this large bowl. Uh, so I have a large metal bowl, and I put about half a capful of vinegar in there, and I soak it for about thirty minutes, or whenever I come back and remember, and then I rinse rinse it, put it in a salad spinner, and then it's ready to use. So, why the vinegar? Uh, is it lowers the pH? Okay. And it can uh, inhibit some, some microbes. Cool. And uh, on, uh, I saw that on LinkedIn today, you and uh, your business, you uh, said you are projected to prevent more than 7 million pounds of waste while increasing revenue by 15 million in your first 12 months of operation. Find out more at gazellepkg.com. That's an interesting statement. So tell us a little bit more about that. We'll be taking a break soon, and we can talk more about that in the next segment as well. Okay. Yeah, uh, that, that's a new company that was really a present to myself. I turned 55 this year, and it's something I've been wanting to do for about 15 years. And I said, if not now, when? And so I just did it. What else are you going to do in the middle of a pandemic, right? <laughs> Start a new business. Well, you know, so, yeah, yeah, I love that because that, that is one of the most powerful things, especially right now with so much, uh, it's not even, I mean, I don't even know, I, I want to go there, I want, so much despair about our total economic mm-hmm. system. I mean, there is living despair, and taking action is a, a recipe for despair. So can we help people start their own food business? And how do you start a food business mm-hmm. that's safe and packaged well? And that's what we're going to be talking about in the next segment. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Laura, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Um, and uh, on phone with us is uh, Claire Sands, Dr. Claire Sands. This is Laura with Food Freedom Radio. Finding the right lawyer is incredibly stressful. It can be tough to know even where to start. Don't just run an internet search for an attorney. Start with the Minnesota Lawyer Referral and Information Service, an enhanced program of the Hennepin and Ramsey County Bar Associations. They'll connect you with over 200 thoroughly vetted, qualified attorneys practicing in over 50 areas of law. Call 612-752-6699 or go to mnlawyerreferral.org. The right call for the right lawyer. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Join us for New Beginnings, Saturday mornings at 11, brought to you in part by Vision Loss Resources. 
Even though these are challenging times, All Energy Solar is still committed to providing you a cost-effective, environmentally friendly energy system through their zero-contact protocol. Solar remains a great value and long-term investment, but some of the incentive programs will be expiring soon. All Energy Solar can walk you through the entire process. They can evaluate your property by phone or webinar and can even complete preliminary design work without visiting your home. So start saving on your energy bill today and visit allenergysolar.com. I'm Rick Unger. You've heard the screamers. You've heard the shouters, the haters, the beraters. Well, now it's time to listen to a real conversation, a rational conversation. Now it's time for the Rick Unger Show. Listen to the Rick Unger Show every weekday from 5 to 7 p.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Stream at am950radio.com or search KTNF on the TuneIn app. Hi, this is Laura. These are indeed confusing times. So much of our life, education, business, meetings have moved online, yet not everyone has Internet access. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, is here for everyone. Radio reaches people without Internet. In fact, radio reaches more Americans than any other platform. 92% of U.S. adults listen to radio every week. Radio connects. If you know some organization, maybe a religious or civic group, seeking to engage and knows that a Zoom call costs money and does not reach everyone, consider a taped or live broadcast on AM 950. Perhaps a virtual not-so-silent auction, recovery support, spiritual support, business networking, poetry slam. If you want to learn more about creating a live or taped message on AM 950, call 952-946-8885 or email laura at am950radio.com. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, here for everyone. AM 950 weather, I'm Patrick Lilia. Great Saturday in store, sunny and 80 for a high. Saturday night, partly cloudy and 62 for the low. Estate planning doesn't just create a plan for what happens after you die. It also helps your loved ones care for you in the event of an accident or as you age. Get started today with Stroman Law in St. Paul. Call 651-571-2515 or visit stromanlaw.com. Food Freedom Radio, where it plants and nurtures the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, and joining us by phone is Dr. Claire Sand. She's been, um, she has a 30-year experience in food and packaging expert. And um, on on break, we left that um, um, the, the issue of food waste, reducing food waste, is really important. And, and tell us about some of the ways that um, food waste is now being reduced in in Minnesota. Well, I, I think Minnesota's really doing a great job with it. Uh, certainly, we've got a lot of uh, big big companies here uh, working working quite a bit on it, and we also have a very active uh, farming group that needs to uh, get their get their product to market, right? Uh, because people people need that food uh, now in the supply chain. So, one of the ways we do that, of course, is with packaging, right? With more sustainable packaging, but we can uh, extend the shelf life of food so that consumers don't end up wasting food that's really important because food like if you just take uh, meat uh it's gone through you know the cow the agriculture and, and things like that the the, the our resources that have been used to produce meat and then it's packaged and it goes through retail environment and, and there's all these steps involved that have really used up a lot of our resources like gas to to move trucks from one place to another refrigeration or freezing retail stores lights and, and and all that kind of stuff so when consumers and the consumers have bought it and so we can really work hard uh and and packaging works really hard to make sure that consumers aren't don't waste that food so we do that with portioning out packaging uh, we do that with better seals on our packaging better barriers and things like that uh, but then um the food industry on the other end, like the, going from farmers to manufacturers, is is uh, really making a lot of amazing strides in that. Uh, for example, if you take something like cheese, uh, when we did our recent project with AURI mapping food waste in Minnesota, uh, we you know analyzed what's happening with small scale cheese processors. Large scale cheese processors are able to 
send their way, which is about 90% of the weight of the, the product of cheese, um, to whey processing facilities. So we turn that food weight that would normally be food waste into a product, whey protein isolates. So if you buy protein drinks or um, any other products with enhanced protein levels, which we need as, as people, they will have whey to protein isolates on them. So that's one way that food processors really work hard to reduce food waste. Um, we were just working on a project uh, with a company that I can't mention, but we were actually using a byproduct of their processing, and we're going to be able to add that back into the package to reduce the amount of plastic that we need in the package. So the plastic will be partially bio-derived. In this case, it's a starch. And so we'll be adding starch to the packaging, which is a flexible bag, so that we have to use you know, less, less plastic in the package. Now, that's so really cool. That, 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 that yeah, stuff is really, really cool fun. and very, very powerful. So tell us a little bit about um, the Mapping the Food Waste Project and how it works for the smaller cheese providers or um, producers. Yeah, one of the things that, that uh, the project showed is that small cheese processors have the same need. They still have all this waste, right, to get rid of, but they don't really have the same relationships with giant whey protein isolates and, and whey protein processing facilities. And so we need to have not just big-scale uh, manufacturing like we've got set up. Uh, we've got those value chain systems set up, but we need to have small-scale value chain systems set up for small-scale cheese processors, small milk producers, small meat producers, and all sorts of uh, small farmers. Like we have these heritage grains that uh, a lot of farmers are growing, and we have systems set up to, to process wheat on a large scale in Minnesota, but we need small-scale systems to process, um, process smaller quantities. That's what my new company, Gazelle, is going to be focusing on. But we also there are also a lot of other opportunities. And, and, and that's, what, that's, that's what makes my heart go pitty-patter. Because, I mean, again, the news out today from Seneca, um, the COVID, the, 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 the food system so concentrated. And, and that, that raises all sorts of moral and uh, problems for me. So I just don't want to support, I don't want to call it bad, but the concentration, I really want to support these ind independent producers. I also don't want mm -hmm. food waste. We know if we're wasting food, we're wasting water, we're adding to the climate. So how? And so that's, that's exciting if we can um, um, support that ecosystem so that independent food producers can thrive. Yep, I, I agree. Yeah, there's, there's all sorts of wonderful groups. Uh, in Minnesota, and uh, one of the things um, when I we just uh, Jan and I just started up Gazelle, and uh, it, you know you meet these people, and it just it's just amazing uh, to meet these farmers who are growing heritage grains, or you know the Wild Rice Council people, um, or cultivated Wild Rice Council people. It's just amazing what's happening here in Minnesota. But yes, you're correct. We need those same systems. Um, one of the big scent that, that the big companies have, one of the big trends that we're seeing now in, in the food industry and maybe in general is regionality. So we've seen globalization, right? We all, we all know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, but with these kind of broken supply chains, there's, there's more interest in regionality. And that's where I think really focusing on um, the, these wonderful entrepreneurs slash farming um, communities that are really, um, you know, really in need of something, a value chain that's similar to what the big big companies have, but on a smaller scale, more regional distribution that makes sense. And, you know, studies show that if you produce something closer to the people who are going to consume it, less greenhouse gas on the road, um, or produce, you know, with trucks on the road, uh, and less food waste uh, and less packaging because you're not having to ship it to a warehouse in the middle of our country and then back out to all these different uh, locations. And so regionality is interesting because we're able to reduce the amount of packaging, extend the product shelf life, and um, create a, a different type of value chain 
for small-scale farms. And, and, and this, um, this makes me go pitter-patter so much. And I'm going to give a story. Like, I understand that Beyond Meat, which sells um, plant-based proteins, um, they patent all their um, their products are patents, so they, they own the patent on those. What if we could have an open source, like We Got Balls, on, on vegan stuff so that we can help people um, uh, make their own vegan um, uh, meatballs in a safe way? They can do their own products and buy and sell those. I mean, eh, what do you think of that? I mean, how do we do that? How do we make it easier for everyone? Yeah, um, I, I wish I was a patent lawyer and I could answer that question properly. But um, I, I do know that, you know, Beyond Meat and, and their affiliates have, have likely spent a lot of time, and, and so they're clearly wanting to protect their interests in that. So I, I somewhat respect that as a scientist. Uh, and, but I think one of the other things is that we have to say, well, that's how Beyond Meat's doing it. There's multiple ways to do that, right? So if you, if you take something, you know, seemingly simple like proteins, right? So Beyond Meat is creating has these amazing patents for textures and, and things like that. Well, there's other ways to achieve textures. There's more than enough room for innovation. Um, but but a, that is a very good point about patenting and then restricting the technology. Um, I, well, and that's where, I mean, that's, if, that's if we, we have like the open source, we have open source um, um, uh, songs, open source uh, poem, open, open source is, is a wonderful trend. If you had open source on these are the ingredients and this is how you can make it, and, 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 and then I think that could result in a much better better world. And I, I realize that's maybe, you know, kind of beyond my pay grade, but it sure feels right. Yeah, you know, it, it does feel right. And I, I would actually, you know, I, I think, you know, when we talked about these smaller farms and we talked about entrepreneurs and things like that, they need the same access. Uh, it's, a, it's an access to information issue. Um, you know, a big company can hire a sustainability expert. Sometimes they hire me or a food waste expert and they hire different companies for that. But a smaller company may not be able to afford that, or they may just have a tiny little project, and it's, it's frankly hard to find somebody to work on that because the project is so little. But they still have those same needs, and so we need to do a better job just as an industry of providing them with guidance. Uh, one of the neat things, uh, you know, AURI just published a, a packaging guide, which is which is wonderful. Um, about you know helping people, uh, helping entrepreneurs make those those decisions on, right. on packaging. We can give a so shout-out to, um, to, to Jason Robinson, and um, people can find those um, if, if they're curious about how can I package, because um, packaging is yeah, a so big issue. Yeah, there are guides, and there's also the University of Minnesota, great land-grant institution. Uh, they have an amazing food science program, an amazing pilot plant. Uh, so there are a lot of resources that are out there. Um, there's a lot of federally funded programs like SBIR grants and, and things like that where entrepreneurs can apply for funds and, you know, get funding. And there's even companies to, to help them, you know, apply for these grants. And so we do have a lot of resources out there. Um, but it's like, it's like the resources themselves. It's, it's access to that information. Honestly, you know, entrepreneurs are so busy trying to keep their business afloat or marketing or whatever, sometimes they don't have time to to find all these resources. And so right. it's, it's access to that. Um, and so, yeah, we, I agree in terms of what you were talking about with, with um, you know, Beyond Meat and, and the, the companies yeah. that support them. You know, that, that's a good example. We have access to information issues, um, access to time, right, and, mm -hmm. and resources, just like we have food access problems um, in our country. So we have that uh, access. <laughs> access is a, is a big, big topic, and I, and I do think we can do much better than, than we are doing now. Yeah, and uh, if we can all get together and just try to f try to find a, a way to make it work for each other. Um, what is your vision of the future of food packaging? Well, it's bright. Um, if, if you would have asked me about seven years ago, I was thinking, gosh, what am I doing? I've been doing this all my life. I, think. I need to get out of this. But, no, it's, it's, really, it's really bright. Um, I, I write a column every month in a magazine called Food Technology, and I just got to write about the top trends of, you know, the next decade, and boy, was it fun. <laughs> you know, we have all sorts of cool stuff going on. You know, we have um, – 
you know, uh, ability to provide consumers with track and trace. And so, uh, you know, where consumers can just scan a package and they know where the package is made, they know where the food is made, they know where all the ingredients are made, they know everything about that. Um, and so we have that ability now and that's coming super fast. Uh, we're going to be having more sustainable packaging, you know, and, and packaging that can, that can really connect with consumers better and, and address the issues they have with sustainability. And I think we're going to have a total less food waste because we are developing those supply chains because they're, because of this new regionality focus, we are developing those supply chains and those value chain relationships with small companies. So I think we're going to see a lot of change in food packaging, just even in, and even in the next you know, three to five years. That is so optimistic. I, I like to have some optimistic good news. So you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We'll be right back with our last segment. Hi, this is Chad from AM 950. With the recent round of storms that came through the Twin Cities, some of you may have sustained damage to your roofing, siding, or windows. Call Snap Construction, the company we trust, to see if you sustain damage. Snap Construction is arguably the most well-reviewed roofing, siding, and window company in the metro. Ryan, how are you able to help people that may have had damage from these storms? Well, Chad, with experience, we've helped thousands of Minnesotans with their storm damage claims. If you suspect your home has damage or was denied in the past, give us a call for your free inspection. It can take up to a year for hail and wind damage to reveal itself. The insurance process can be complicated. We make it easy. We use the same costing software that all insurance companies rely on. As always, we stand behind our work with a lifetime craftsmanship guarantee. Don't wait. Call us for your free estimate or inspection today. 612-333-SNAP. 612-333-SNAP. Food Freedom Radio is generously supported by Seward Co-op, now offering online ordering and pickup at both the Franklin and Friendship stores. Shop online at seward.coop slash curbside and then pay over the phone. Just call when you arrive at the store for pickup. It's that easy and safe. Offering dedicated pickup times for our first responders, seniors, and those with compromised immune systems from 1 to 2 p.m. Start your shopping at seward.coop slash curbside. Stay safe. Let Next Chapter Booksellers help you catch up on your summertime reading. Their expert staff can help make book recommendations no matter what your taste. Plus, Next Chapter Booksellers also sells a wide variety of puzzles and games. They have free home delivery within St. Paul for orders over $50 and free mail shipments within the U.S. for orders over $50. Open daily by phone from 10 to 3. Call 651-225-8989 or visit nextchapterbooksellers.com. My part-time service in the Army National Guard makes it possible for me to be more for the community I call home. I'm a better neighbor because my service has taught me how important it is to be a team player. My training helps me in my classes when I give attention to detail to the task at hand. My service also allows me to be there for my community in ways others can't. I help my hometown recover after nature strikes. My service in the Army National Guard allows me to keep my country and those I care about safe from threats. I also work with a network of professionals that help me succeed. Also, the Army National Guard's education benefits make getting a higher education a reality. Being an Army National Guard soldier makes living and serving in my community more rewarding every day. Learn more about how you too can live and serve part-time, close to home, by visiting NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Minnesota Army National Guard. Aired by the Minnesota Broadcasters Association and this station. Listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950. I'm Laura Headland. Thanks so much for uh, to Dr. Claire uh, Sand uh, for participating with us. Um, and also joining us right now is her partner uh, Jan uh, Lillemont. And uh, Jan, tell us a little bit about um, the packaging business. I saw on LinkedIn this week that you guys um, put out there that you're saving seven million pounds of waste while increasing revenue by fifteen million dollars in your first twelve months of operation. 
So helping to change the food system for independent um, food entrepreneurs. Yes, we're really excited about uh, Gazelle Mobile Packaging, and um, we're working on all the background work, the engineering work, and things to get it going. But the basic premise is that we will build um, at least one truck with equipment that can be driven to farmers or food co-ops or um, farmers' markets or wherever there is produce that is going to be basically destroyed because it's getting to the end of its shelf life and it maybe doesn't look as pretty as normal, right? And so we're going to help um, these small manufacturers or these small growers or whatever whatever the case may be um, by helping them uh, manufacture those into um, those products into ready-to-eat value-added products rather than um, them throwing them away. So the idea is that we come to them. Uh, the other, other uh, big thing about it is that we will be, uh, our, our trailer, if we'll call it the trailer for now, I'm not sure exactly the format, mm-hmm. um, will, it'll be a, adaptable. So we might do apple juice one day, and then we may swap equipment out and then do barbecue sauce the next day and swap more equipment out and then may do uh, make um, a unique grain flour the next day or the next week or whatever, you know. So the idea is they're going to be throwing this stuff away and then they're losing money off of it. Let's see if we can help them to um, get some money back for that and give them uh, also a product that they can sell. How cool is that? Yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, it's Claire called me out of the blue. We've known each other since graduate school, and she called me out of the blue and was like, I need somebody for food safety, and I couldn't, and I thought, Dan, and so she called me, and here we are several months later having a lot of fun. That sounds great, and I know, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, So I um, have 30 years in the food industry, and all in manufacturing, and um, I've uh, worked in research and development, I've worked in uh, technical services, I've worked in um uh, lots of quality, food safety, regulatory, which is what my what my consulting business is. So I go into, for example, last week I um, helped a, a, a wild rice manufacturer get through a third-party audit. Um, tomorrow I'm meeting with somebody who makes packaging, uh, who wants doesn't make food packaging but wants to get into that area to talk to them about what, how I can help them to be able to expand their product offerings. So it really is a joke about it, but I really have had clients from soup to nuts. And so that's, that's what I do is I get to help usually small businesses and a lot of family-owned businesses to get their uh, food safety programs in place so they can compete with the big boys or to solve specific problems like, hey, help, FDA's on our doorstep. So um, that's what I do. So I've been doing that a long time. I think it'd be so cool to have all this stuff easier and just more accessible so everyone can start their own small businesses. I mean, as as a human animal, what do we need? Food and shelter. And if, if we could figure out how to have our own small businesses and gig economy, I could, yeah, you know, I can I can make some nice vegan protein mix and I can use this this stuff and I, I can, you know, maybe it's a We Got Balls or whatever it is. I, I can just, I, I, I can I can make money from a food system and make it accessible. Could that ever happen? Well, yeah, it sure does. Um, one of my clients, uh, speaking of meatless, um, is up in Two Harbors, and I can't say their name, but they're, uh, they make the most amazing um, meatless balls and crumbles and things like that that are, um, are nut-based. And they're really good. So there's all kinds of different versions, right, that you can use to make different kinds of meatless meatless foods but um yeah people do people take um old family recipes i have one client that makes wild rice burgers that are just amazing but people people take you know grandma's recipe or um you know something that they've yeah, so let's say, let's say I have a fantastic wild rice um recipe for wild rice burgers how would i even start to start a business well, I think the first thing you need to do is find a place where you're going to manufacture, usually not in your own kitchen, right? So one of the 
nice things we have in the Twin Cities is a lot of, of commercial kitchens where you can rent time and there's space to use it. So you're not like allocated this corner of the building. You just sign up for a time when you could come in and use their equipment and man- manufacture your prototypes or your samples that you try to um, sell to, you know, you one of the distributors or something um, or different grocery stores or whatever, because you don't want to put the money into equipment and, a, and renting mm-hmm. a facility until you know you've got a product that's going to sell. So that's the first place is find a place to get your samples made and then get the word out there. And this whole gig economy is absolutely where where we're going. Um, I mean, I've worked for very large food manufacturers in the past, and they're getting much better at being quick and, and um, responding to trends. But the small entrepreneur can do that so much faster. Hmm. So we're down to the last two minutes. Um, tell us a little bit more about um, Gazelle Packaging. Okay. Well, um, we are in the process now with trying to find some funding to be able to buy equipment in a truck. Um, our sons are, have to both be seniors in mechanical engineering. I mean, what are the chances of that? Um, they have done all the engineering for us this summer as our interns, so it's been pretty pretty amazing to watch um, them do that and them work together. And so we're at the point where we, we need to get some funding. We've actually had to turn away a client or a potential client because we didn't have um, the equipment yet to help her, but she'll come back once we do. And um, so that's kind of where we are now, but I'm really excited about the project, and I think it has potential to help a lot of people and to make our lives very interesting as well. What do you see as the future of the food system? I, I think it's going to be um, it continually increased uh, focus on food safety because people die from, from poor food safety. And I think that is going to, and it's going to continue to go down to the small manufacturers, the small producers. And if farmers or other producers can take their raw materials and make them into uh, uh, value-added products, that's all the better. And later on in the Food Freedom Radio, in about a month, we're going to be talking to the Upcycle Association. Um, I thank you so much, um, Jan uh, with Lilamo Associates, and thank to Dr. Claire San earlier um, for joining us. Okay, we talk about food safety, but we also know what happened with Glenwell. The the, food, the dominant food system. We we need to do something better. We can have a real world. This whole regionalism, how we buy and sell food in a way that serves water and each other. Let's do it. Let's do it. Food Freedom Radio on AM nine fifty.